0: Hello there, S.E. Land. This is Twig. Twig's S.E. Reflections, episode number 55. 55, and we're going to look at the dorsal vagal complex, the third subsystem of the autonomic nervous system is laid out in the polyvagal theory. And not just laid out in that theory, but that theory simply maps out how our biology is actually laid out. And with it, we get to have an opportunity to look at it in this podcast. This might be a rambler, just to let you know, I'm not in a hurry. I've been in a hurry for weeks, and I'll tell you, I'm back to normal now. Had two or three days now where there's much less drama in my area after the wildfires are settling down. That's not the case for everyone everywhere, but for me, I am at ease and everything is just fine please don't worry for me and on this day August 1st September 1st I get to sit here and um, ramble a little bit if you don't mind about the the uniqueness of the dorsal vagal complex you know um, one thing that's out there is that the DVC the dorsal vagal complex has a little bit of a bad rap you know it's it's known to be associated with freeze and immobility and the experience of dissociation and, and these kind of things and because of that you know we 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 kind of frown upon it well let it let it be gone let that be gone let's banish that from our minds because this is just another beautiful part of what makes us us on the way into talking and describing about all the different subsistence like the elements of this the basic elements i'd like to tell you a little story about the first 24 hours that i came across the polyvagal theory it kind of has a a moment in there where it's like yes that's that's (laughs) that's why i can sit here and chat about it here i was in san diego at the advanced one training with peter levine and he was doing his introduction of the polyvagal theory i'd had just a tiny little bit of introduction to it before, and I was keen. I was really interested to hear what it was all about. And he was introducing it. I was falling off my chair with excitement. It was thrilling to hear these ideas, which I know is not the case. It's not the case for everybody who comes across it, especially not for the first time. But it was so exciting to me that I ended up staying up all night reading one of Porges's original articles Think it was orienting in a defensive world. I think the title was, um, "What's the subtitle of that?" Something like m- mammals, mammal, mammalian adaptations of our. I'm getting it wrong, but it's it's all about mammals and adaptation and how mammals and our heritage. Something like that. Orienting in a defensive world. Check it out. Well. I, I I was I was thrilled I was thrilled. By two a.m. I was in a kind of a fever. I I emailed my mentor Stephen Hoskinson, SE faculty. He was over in Switzerland that day, and I wrote him. I was like, "Do you know how big a beep deal this is?" And and he wrote back. He was like, "Yeah, it's amazing, isn't this just incredible?" It is. It is. The next morning, I. Drove down to class with some friends in my in the car, and I just I I just wanted to just chat it up. And class got going, and you always hope for this at a training. You find somebody that you really click with, somebody you really can connect with. And I'd I'd found that in in a friend there, Shell down at the training. You guys know Shell, a really special special person. She and I were looking into the class and could kind of see it was gonna be something and something that we were oh let's get out of here so we actually ditched class for the afternoon and went out a little bit east of San Diego there's these big fields of boulders out there big rocks and Shell and I went out to kinda chat up the polyvagal theory kinda marvel in it all wonder at it and uh, climb around on these rocks and while we were out on those on those rocks I I had this moment with a lizard what happened was that I saw this lizard And it stopped, startled, kind of quasi-oriented, you know, just stopped in whatever, hardly looked. And I stopped and I decided, oh, this is a good opportunity for me to check this out. And I took a slight step forward and the lizard just kind of sat there, stood there, squatted there, stood in place. I took another step, another step, eventually I got into its flight distance and it, spun off and took off running. Yeah, and it zipped underneath a rock and it stopped there. Never I mean I didn't see it again. But I thought to myself, Oh, see that's the thing. That's what makes us different. I mean not in the sense that like uh I'm twig and I'm different than than you lizard there. More like I'm mammal, I'm me mammal, and you're there lizard reptile. And that's what makes us different. Because if if I were sitting on that rock and some critter named Twig came over to me, I might very well try to talk to him or say hi, you know, wave at him or kind of nod or get some kind of going back and forth, some kind of engagement as we ended up in this interaction, this encounter with one another. Lizard, Lizard didn't do that. Lizard just stopped, waited, when it became time that it was necessary, ran, ran to a place where it was gonna then freeze, and it was just gonna wait. It was gonna wait until all sign of any kind of me being any kind of danger was passed. But if, if that was happening to me, you know, I would have engaged with it in a completely different way. At that moment, on that day, I had this thought, and maybe maybe you've had something like it. I thought back to the first time that I learned about the nervous system, which for me happened to be, excuse me, in sixth grade sex education class at school in San Diego, actually. And the teacher introduced my class to physiology and like human inside what goes on. And he explained the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. And he put them up on that balance board, you know, like a teeter-totter and said, see, there's like one system that makes you go faster and one system that slows you down and one system that makes you run away and one system that makes you shut down. And, and these go back and forth, right? There's this activation system And then there's this, so what would that, that would be the ergotropic, and then there's this trophotropic system, this deactivation or settling rest and digest system. And on this day, 24 hours into learning about the polyvagal theory, hanging out with that lizard there for a few seconds until it took off a few moments, I could see the reality that Porges had really named something that had been completely missed, not only in my you know, class, in my sixth grade, but all the way through all of the rest of the f- science and physiology I ever took about humans, as well as anything that anybody had ever said. Because nobody had made this distinction until Porges that names out the difference between the kind of the orientation engagement element of us being calm and the quasi shut down um disappearing like hide and disappear conserve energy system of the parasympathetic at this other end of it i did not do a very good job of explaining that distinction right there but we have unlike that lizard, which only has one branch of the parasympathetic system which for us we might have historically called the parasympathetic system, that lizard had what we think of now as the dorsal vagal complex, just the dorsal vagal side of the parasympathetic system. Now, in here, I got to tell you, this gets a little funny to talk about it this way. So I'm going to have to leave something out. On the way there, I'll say, you know, The point is that the parasympathetic system now is much, much, much more sophisticated than it was for lizards or amphibians or bony fish, even cartilaginous fish. The parasympathetic system for mammals is this two subsystem thing where there is a branch of the parasympathetic that does things that no other non-mammal critter on the planet does, like engagement, like orienting and kind of checking things out, like staying in close proximity to others and staying calm. Now, those are elements of the ventral vagal complex primarily for mammals, but other critters not having it, they don't do those kinds of things. They either run away or they freeze when something threatens them when something comes close to them, when something starts to engage them. For us, we, we have this whole range of nuance that happens long before, hopefully long, long, long before, we ever feel the need to flee or fight or freeze, shut down, immobilize. Okay. What did I just say? I just said that that lizard has a two-part system. And for humans and mammals, mammals, humans being mammals, mammals have a three-part system. And in my science class, and probably most of your science classes, we were always given the two-part system model. The two-part system model that is actually much more representative of the way the nervous system for that lizard works. And ours is actually much more sophisticated than that. And that's cool. One of the sophistications is found or like one of the elements that makes it all quite so sophisticated is this dorsal vagal complex and it is still with us it's shared by all other invertebrates from cartilaginous fish which means that fish that are about as old as any critter that moves around on the planet cartilaginous fish we call them suckers. They, they have like mouths that attach to the rocks and nowadays the bottom of boats and suck on things, yeah? Also known as lamp rays. Okay, so you got cartilaginous fish, bony fish, repti- amphibians, reptiles, mammals. All the way up through there, you have this branch of the nervous system called the dorsal vagal complex found in all of those. In fact, you could kind of say that the rest of the nervous system, certainly true for the ventral vagal complex branch of the autonomic nervous system, the rest of the autonomic nervous system is kind of an elaboration or built up out of this dorsal vagal complex. That's more true for the ventral vagal complex, the sympathetic, maybe it's kind of pulling on the adrenal medulla, madrenal, whatever, and kind of coming into existence somehow independently. But you see what I'm saying? Biology evolution kind of adapts off of things. And the ventral vagal complex, the new one for mammals, is grown out of the old one dorsal vagal complex. But we still have the dorsal vagal complex. And it is still responsible for all the things that it was responsible for in years of old. Well, more or less. It has less influence in some cases and it still does other things that it's always done now the primary things that it does is it's responsible for taste digestion and elimination yeah so that that's like taste buds i guess but then certainly everything below the diaphragm everything in our bodies that is sub-diaphragmatic right so below the diaphragm so all the innards that are moving things through us the, that that kind of bring in nutrition and move that nutrition out into our bodies the rest and digestion of classic parasympathetic action of like oh that's how you restore your body this system the dorsal vagal complex has the primary influence over that stuff now there's still interactions inside of there with valves that are opening and closing because of signal coming from the sympathetic system in the dorsal vagal complex like those are or the like that opening and closing is a sympathetic parasympathetic kind of thing and the primary innervation in our soft stuff you know that's soft stuff in our belly all of that area dorsal vagal complex and its degree of tone has a whole lot to do with how things are moving in there or how things are shut down in there. Yeah? Well, what else does it do? Or what else could we say about its anatomy? There are several things that are commonly referred to when we think about its anatomy. One is that the origin of the motor fibers of the nerves of this subsystem are found in the dorsal motor nucleus of the vagus, in the, like, kind of dorsal or backside of the brainstem. Now, this dorsal and ventral thing has, it's, it's more of an anatomy kind of thing about how anatomists have laid out the brain and where they see the different planes of the brain. And so the, it just so happens that the line that makes the, what's that, the front sagittal and the back sagittal, the, the ventral and the dorsal, uh, the cut of the brain, yeah? So it's just, that's just a, the brain's kind of round. You and I might not have seen it that way. We might not have held it that way. But we have these this nomenclature in place. So the dorsal vagal complex is a system that ties together a group of neural anatomy, like things in our brain, with structures in our body and kind of runs their, physiology, runs how they work. That's the dorsal vagal complex. The source nuclei or the source nerves for the motor element of this comes from the dorsal motor nucleus. And you see that written as dorsal motor nucleus X or 10. And I guess that's the 10th vagus nerve. I guess that's the big deal. So what the thing here is that these all go down from that posterior brain and dorsal part of the brain down through a big trunk nerve that is running. And this is interesting in some way on the anterior side of our spine, the posterior side of the body cavity, but the anterior side of the actual, what in Brazil we, the Portuguese would call the column, right? The columna that the, the, bones of our spine you know it's an interesting thing we don't often think about it because we can't feel those but they have an anterior side which is on the inside of our body and it's actually kind of the back side of the inside of our body so there's a big trunk nerve that is running out of the out of the brain down through the neck down through that anterior side and then splitting off and going out and innervating all of these different structures in our Abdomen. Abdomen. Yeah? Got me? Okay. Great. Now, there's another group of nerves that are going back up that trunk nerve, going to a different brain structure, which has an interesting name. It's the NTS, the Nucleus Tractus Solitarius. I always think of astronomy and constellations whenever you're saying words like that. The Nucleus Tractus Solitarius. Well, that's what receives signal from the body to the brain. Now, something you might have seen when looking at this is that 20% of the fibers are efferent, going from the brain to the body, meaning that they're those, those motor nerves from the dorsal motor nucleus of the vagus, they're sending instruction down to the belly And the pathways there are 20% downward, 20% efferent. And they are 80% afferent, 80% going back up to the, what's that? The nucleus tractus solitarius. Yeah. And those kind of make like a loop. You know, there's communication between the nucleus tractus solitarius and the dorsal motor nucleus 10 and the area rostrum. Is that the... I think that's... So there's another, another one in there, too, that receives. So this group, this dorsal vagal complex, it has this imbalance of 20% of the communication going from the brain to the belly and 80% of the communication going from the belly to the brain. We need to recognize that that... Okay, something else before we recognize anything is that the nerves that we're talking about, they're, quote, unmyelinated Right. They're older, they're less sophisticated, they're phylogenetically older, meaning that you know they're based on like templates from when life was much simpler than it is now in terms of its complexity and neural structures and such. So when we talk about the ventral vagal complex and the social engagement system, we get so excited because those nerves are myelinated. They have a fatty sheath like a bubble wrap around the outside of the nerves and it helps the communication move very quickly much, much, much quicker than the dorsal vagal complex which does not have that myelin or the vast majority of them don't have that myelin. And with this, they talk about how the communication moves more like waves, like like flowing waves of impulse going up and down these different nerve, this trunk nerve of the vagus, 20% going down, 80% going up. So we have two things here. One is that the communication goes slowly in the first place simply because the nerves don't transmit information as quickly. And second, there's an imbalance of the communication. It's hard for the brain to communicate a whole lot to the belly like, oh, you're okay down there if the belly is sending back a signal that says, oh, something's really wrong here. So the whole notion of like a gut feeling and you knew it in your gut and your gut gives you all this really important information about how safe or how dangerous a situation is, that interoception, a whole lot of that is, has to do with the fact that the gut has this really big influence on the communication between the brain and the body, the brain and the belly. Yeah. The belly talks to the brain a whole lot let's just keep that in mind in our in our world okay that's that's like basic anatomy it's primarily responsible for subdiaphragmatic organs also has um how do you say this vestige, vestige vestigial it's got remnant influence on the lungs and the heart or the pace of the heart through the pacemaker of the heart the sinoatrial node So we talked about the sinoatrial node a little bit and the ventral vagal complex's influence on the vagal break, which is kind of the thing that is helping to modulate the pace of the heart by kind of instructing the sinoatrial node, which is on the side of the heart, telling the heart how fast to go. We talked about that in episode 42 on the ventral vagal complex. And we kind of talked about how cool it is, how amazing really it is that it can modulate the pace of the heart super, super fast. It can kind of make the heart go just a little faster, a little bit slower, and it can do it with, and it can make it go a lot faster and a lot slower. It can You can get upset and it can calm you down, all of these things. With the ventral vagal's influence, it can modulate that with refinement, with um, alacrity, as I think of it. But but I think they would, what would they say? They would say that it, okay, I'm going to move on. It modulates the pace of the heart, the pacemaker of the heart. Now, the the, the dorsal vagal complex has an influence on that pace of the heart as well. But it's not active unless it gets recruited, unless it gets... Um, enacted. So now here's the thing. What am I trying to say? In daily life, when we're more or less safe enough, these three subsystems of the autonomic nervous system, the ventral vagal complex, the sympathetic nervous system, and the dorsal vagal complex, they work in a kind of relationship with one another. They're going up and going down. One of them is a little bit more active. Another one is a little less active. Different people talk about this in different ways. Like Stefan Porges has called this transient blends. They work in transient blends. Stephen Hoskinson, he's mentioned this as they work in harmonic blends, which is a nice kind of metaphor. They, they're meant to work in relationship. When Peter Levine talks about this, he's talking about the coherence between these three different subsystems. Yeah. Ideally, when we're when our physiology is working well, when our body is more or less safe enough, and none like the signals that say, oh, these stress response things have to be going off, when those aren't happening, and this transient blend relationship is working between these different subsystems, this dorsal vagal complex is helping us take in food, remove its nourishment, move away the parts of it that we don't need, and then kind of like depositing those somewhere and having an easygoing time about that. Also helping us, you know, finish a meal and feel that heaviness and desire to rest afterward. And when we're coming down off the edge of the day to feel the, the you know, the depth of gravity that would say, hey, you get to go to sleep now. On a daily basis, inside the daily round, the dorsal vagal complex has this really nice thing that it does. It makes you tired and makes you restful and it makes you digest at ease. It has a really functional part of, of daily life. Inside the stress response, it does completely, it, it has a completely unique and purposeful function. Yeah. So what's the sequence, right? You, um, I'm sitting at the rock and something bigger than me comes over, like that lizard. I came over to the lizard. I'm bigger than the lizard. I scare the lizard. Okay, something comes over and it's bigger than me. And I'm going to first turn and look at it, see if I can engage with it, ventral vagal kind of stuff. I realize I'm not going to be able to influence it in any kind of way. And so I get up and I start running okay, it could happen. And now I'm running. I'm in the sympathetic nervous system. My heart's going faster. My breath rate is going faster. I'm moving more stuff around. I'm needing more stuff, metabolically speaking. And now I get to a point where my plan for escape or my fighting back isn't working. It's not functional. In fact, a very likely thing is that I'm becoming hypoxic or on the edge of Building up too much carbon dioxide and not getting enough oxygen, and when that happens, when particularly that message of oxygen-carbon dioxide ratio kind of thing happens, but also other neuroceptions or neuros like nervous system's perception of how dangerous my situation is here. If I get that neuroception that says I'm not in, I'm not in a dangerous situation. I'm in a life-threatening situation. I'm going to capitulate to the threat, right? I'm going to go into freeze immobility. I'm going to stop running or stop fighting back, and I'm going to go limp. Yeah? Well, when that happens, it's the dorsal vagal system becoming dominant inside the stress response. Before, when I was running, and my heart was going really fast, it was the sympathetic nervous system and dominant. Well, before that, when I was engaging, and I was trying to talk everything down and trying to stay calm, it was the ventral vagal complex dominant. Well, now, That I've run, I haven't gotten away, I fought back, I haven't won, I'm losing, and now I'm collapsing and I'm going into freeze, freeze immobility. There are all kinds of other additional things that go on with this dorsal vagal complex that we've been talking about. Like, one is that it really slows everything down. It slows down the heart and the breath rate, and it does it, actually, by recruiting fibers of the ventral vagal complexes influence on the sinoatrial node. It recruits those fibers so that it can have now the dorsal vagal complex with its somewhat minor, nowadays it's, it's definitely less for mammals, influence on the pace of the heart. It doesn't have a dominant influence on the heart, so it's not able to just say, oh, I want to just, well, that's not true. Because with with the startle response so I'm just gonna I'm gonna name it out this way. There's nuance that I won't get to, but when this is really happening, the way the heart gets really slowed down is that the dorsal vagal complex co-ops or recruits fibers from the ventral vagal complex's influence on the sinoatrial node. And together with the DVC's influence and the VVC's help, the DVC is able to radically shut down or slow down, cause what they call bradycardia, extremely slow heart rate, and whoosh, drop everything way down, right? That's huge. It's a, it's a really dramatic shift in the body has really big consequences for mammals it can cause some mammals to die sometimes just because it removes too it doesn't provide enough oxygen to the brain to keep us going it doesn't do that most of the time <laughs> you know most of the time it just really shuts you down and suddenly you can't move and you feel heavy and uh, feel dissociated maybe feel like it gets so much, gets so strong that we have the feeling of our soul or of our consciousness leaving our body. Yeah, there are interesting things that happen with this. There's endogenous opiates that are released into the bloodstream so as to provide pain relief. So one of the big elements about the dorsal vagal complex being dominant is that pain is greatly reduced. The heart rate and the breath rate or in breath excursion are so slight and so low that when you feel lightheaded and faint and you don't have much tone or kind of energy in the body but also the blood isn't moving around very quickly or not nearly as quickly as with say the sympathetic system so that now if we're wounded it's much less likely that we're going to bleed out or like the no the wound will have a better chance of coagulating other things in here we're less likely to to attend to the wound because we're not feeling it and we're numb and we're not moving much and that's good we'll be less likely to cause more attraction to our movements and in a lot of cases we take away the resistance that goes along with fight-and-flight behavior and so if we're being preyed upon if we're in a fight for example a lot of times when we go limp and we remove the signal that we're going to continue to fight back we stop fighting back then the predator the person attacking us oftentimes backs off because they feel a little bit less of their experience of being under threat and so the the instinct for continuing to fight is a little bit less this is true for predation in animals too a lot of animals don't don't mess with animals that aren't fighting back right they kind of oh you're dead and they lose interest this dorsal vagal shutdown scene here is what we often think of right of course as freeze immobility and different people have all kinds of different words for this and different kind of categories of how strong this is like tonic immobility is one level of it that you'll hear and vagal collapse will be like another one. So tonic immobility, more representative of all the muscles co-contracting at the same time. So you'll see maybe like a a video of a deer or an antelope and they have their legs completely stiff up in the air, or maybe your client has a completely stiff neck, you know, and doesn't turn independently. The muscles are tight on both sides it's a kind of immobilization but the sympathetic system is still pretty active there and then you can go all the way up to the categories of like vagal collapse where there's not enough tone to even hold up the body right it's just like i'm just a i'm a puddle i'm doing the puddle thing the dorsal vagal complex it Is this kind of withdrawal when it becomes dominant because of the stress response, because of a neuroception that says I'm in a life-threatening situation, because of a nervous system's perception, doesn't have to be a logical kind of thing, the nervous system's perception, I don't have enough oxygen here. I don't have enough um, recourse to safety here. This assault, this attack, this threat is going to overwhelm me. The best thing I can do is shut down and conserve energy. It's this dorsal vagal complex that enacts that that helps to make that happen, and you know, for anybody who's ever gone through that, it's it, there's there's elements to this that not so pleasant, but something to be said is that it's a it's a little bit like grace, you know, when it gets really really bad, you you can have this moment when, well, you know, you you kind of get a little bit of space from it, you withdraw somehow inside you know that's definitely the feeling you just you just you're out of there and with it it's a little bit like grace because man sometimes you know things get really hard for people really hard so there's anatomy there's brain structures involved there's physicality there's um, physiology and actions that take place in certain kinds of situations there's something that I'm not going to go into here so much but just to mention that all of the things to do with lightheadedness and nausea and even certain qualities of headaches and such are really dorsal vagal influenced kind of things. So I'm looking at the time all of a sudden, noticing that this is a, like I said, this would be a rambler. I want to I want to name two things and then I'm going to find a close one it's extremely helpful to get ourselves clear on the map going on with the dorsal vagal complex because when we hear somebody complain or mention or make comment to things that reflect constipation or diarrhea or um unable to get out of the get out of bed at night or in the morning, excuse me, or find themselves wickedly tired in the middle of the day, or they start to walk up a hill and they feel hypoxic, like they just need to sit down and feel faint before they even really get going very far. We want to be able to hear all of these things in relationship to what subsystem is working and everything I just mentioned right there, or overworking, and everything I just mentioned there has some kind of relationship with the dorsal vagal complex, working maybe over time, particularly when those things aren't necessary, right? When you haven't just eaten something and you need to get it out of you, or um, you're being chased up the hill and you're not going to get there. So you have to stop and go faint and conserve energy. Being able to hear what people are saying about their experience and being able to place it up on these maps of what part of the body, what part of the autonomic nervous system does that indicate is being used here. Extremely helpful for everything else that you're going to do with your clients. I mean, just really super, super informative. And the second thing that I want to grab before I close here is that the um, the dorsal vagal system is not only like the rest and digest part of... The daily round when things are safe enough it's not only the shutdown conserve energy freeze and immobilize subsystem that kind of protects us at the last end of our wits when when all hope is lost in some kind of danger we're in a situation that we just can't do anything about it's overwhelming and we shut down it's not just about that subs that experience it does lots of other things too and one of the nice things that porges and the polyvagal theory has helped to point out and um maybe the work of sue carter porges's wife is in here too is that the dorsal vagal complex has a relationship with certain neuropeptides, neurochemicals in us like oxytocin and vasopressin are two primary ones and this is a nice kind of thing. It turns out that through the dorsal vagal complex and the presence of oxytocin and vasopressin, oxytocin being more the, the lovey huggy yum-yum you know goods and groceries of, of our neurochemical stuff going on inside and vasopressin maybe being related to like the get get the goods up and maybe have to have to do something here stress um, tension filled kind of stuff. Like the two of those actually interplay with the dorsal vagal complex through that nucleus, tractus, solitarius, and then um, the area rostrum, I think they call it. The, but anyway, those, those different neurochemicals kind of have a relationship with the dorsal vagal complex that allows us, this is great, to immobilize in proximity, in the not just in the face of fear. But in the face of like, um, well, coitus, you know, like the best part of intimacy, maybe not the best part, but one of the great parts, right, of being mammals is that we get to mate and that we get to stay really close. And when we're mating, we don't feel like we're going to get killed or eat each other when we feel safe enough. In fact, it's a super, super pleasurable, wonderful experience. And... Part of the reason we're able to have that quality of relaxation and even probably the the kind of pinnacle elements of excitation to collapse all inside of that closeness is because the dorsal vagal complex is helping us to immobilize, not in the face of fear, but in the face of a sufficient safety or the right kind of safety with the presence of these other neurochemicals that give us all the goods and groceries that make it so nice to have great passion so the dorsal vagal complex is is there to help us in the moments of our greatest needs (laughs) right on all sides of our biology it's not just this kind of um, red vortex trauma vortex bad rap kind of thing it's a wonderful thing there's definitely problems at times particularly when we've gotten stuck there or overly conditioned to it we got to figure out what to do about that but in its own right the dorsal vagal complex is just unique and mysterious in its own right let's appreciate that I'm there, how about you? I'll be looking forward to talking with you all sometime again soon take care, bye bye now tracking twig moments so you can keep track of what I'm up to, where I'm going. I'm looking forward to finishing with a group of SE practitioners in Kobe, Japan, this middle September. We're gonna finish Advance 2 with Stephen Hoskinson. Really looking forward to seeing everybody over there. And some people have been wanting to know a little bit more about my guide to the SE language and it's part of my responsibility to tell more people about it. So one good place to find that is from my schedule at liberationaspossibleorg backslash schedule and look for online there. Right there, you're going to get a link to the information about this guide to the SE language that I put together. Hours and hours of me giving you my very best thoughts on how to communicate with your clients. That's there. I hope a few of you will check it out. It helps support the podcast. Okay, off I go. Bye-bye now.